Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. So President Trump announced his uh, intent to demolish what's been known as the Johnson Amendment. There's been bills introduced in Congress uh, here to talk about the religious freedom implications of this effort is my good friend and colleague, President of the Northwest Religious Liberty Association, Greg Hamilton. Greg, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Oh, always good to be with you, Alan. Now, you are an outspoken um, critic of efforts to repeal the Johnson Amendment. First of all, tell us what the Johnson Amendment is, what it does, and then we'll get into uh, why Christians might think twice about repealing it. Well, it was an IRS tax reform bill that was successfully passed in Congress by then-Senator Lyndon Johnson in 1954. Is the same man who later became president in 1963 following the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Churches can individually, they can invite a candidate to speak at their local church um, if it invites the opposing candidate. And ministries, houses of worship, denominations, and religious individuals can speak out on the moral and spiritual issues of the day, including getting involved in ballot referenda. But what they cannot do, um, the Johnson Amendment is a prohibition on churches and other houses of worship to prevent churches from publicly favoring or endorsing one candidate over another. This includes the strict prohibition on financing them or organizing to campaign for them. And that's significant because if you lift, and, and the way that Congress wants to, at least they've been you know, putting forth bills for the last 10 years on this, is that they would allow, uh, Republicans in Congress would allow 25% of local church budgets or churches to use their budgets, 25% of their budget, to endorse a particular candidate or candidates to run for office, um, which I find fascinating, Alan, because, you know, there's the Article 6, Section 3 statement in the Constitution of no religious test for public office, which I, I find interesting. I don't know why nobody seems to pay attention to that particular um, clause. Um, and it bothers me. Um, and I didn't mention that in my article that I wrote recently, but I think I'll add it to it now that I've thought about it. <laughs> well, you know, I look, I think that the attack on the Johnson Amendment is a cause looking for um, a reason, because there is no current restriction on the free speech of churches. Right. Um, I can think of two notable case, cases in my lifetime where the IRS has gone after a church because of their political activity. One was right-wing, and one was left-wing. Right. The right-wing one was Randall Terry's church, um, back when they blasted Bill Clinton in a newspaper ad back in 92. And then there's a liberal church in uh, Pasadena, California, that was blasted for their support of uh, Barack Obama in 2008. But other than those two cases, basically the IRS has left churches alone, left pastors alone to, uh, you know, talk as much as they want about candidates, even though it's illegal. Well, we have to make a distinction between a church's official endorsement and using uh, fundraising and money to back that particular candidate. Right. 
So let's talk about the money issue. Churches are forbidden to do that right now, but the Johnson Amendment actually provides such freedom of speech that they, even if you invite the opposing candidate and the opposing candidate doesn't show up, you have not violated the IRS code of the uh, of the Johnson Amendment. You haven't violated it. So, I mean, our church, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, goes one step further and says, hey, you know, if the opposing candidate is not coming, it's best to not have anybody come. And so we take it one step further in order to protect ourselves. Um, and, and I think that's reasonable. I think that's uh, wise. Um, but I think we have to recognize this one thing, that if the Johnson Amendment is repealed with a congressional bill, the way the bill currently reads, House Bill 172, it would allow 25% of their budget and no more to endorse a candidate and campaign for them or candidates. And that, in my opinion, would empower the church to basically uh, dominate the electoral, um, you know, uh, um, process and also dominate the policymaking process uh, at Congress, the executive branch, and who knows what. But a lot of people say, well, before 1954, where were the churches? I mean, you know, they certainly were empowered to do that before. So what happened then? And my answer to that is very clear. Before 1954, Protestantism was pretty much isolated. They believed in the pure preaching of the gospel message and the support of the gospel message. They were not interested in endorsing political candidates of any kind. Now, a lot of people might say, well, but they'll go back to that mode after the repeal of the Johnson Amendment. No, I don't believe that. I do not believe that. And you mentioned to me before we got on the show that special interest groups, uh, specifically groups on the evangelical Protestant and Catholic right, um, are very much involved in trying to repeal the Johnson Amendment so it gives them the opportunity to, as 501c3 uh, organizations or 501c4 or whatever they are, to, um, to officially endorse and basically turn into super PACs. So their interest is clear. The denominations and churches' interest is not so clear. But to me, I think that you know, this is a slippery slope waiting to happen. I mean, you know, if they are intent on getting the churches all um, all excited about getting rid of abortion and all their special interest issues, um, their wedge issues, so to speak, then I think that uh, empowers churches to overwhelm government as we know it today. Well, there's no question that politics is funded with after-tax dollars, not pre-tax dollars. Right. So, you know, there's no sense in allowing churches to fund politics with pre-tax dollars. Right. Well, the way I see it, and the way I wrote it in my article, is that um, individuals obviously don't get a tax deduction by uh, contributing to any candidate, you know, independently. They don't get a tax deduction. So now if the Johnson Amendment is repealed, they can give it to their local church, and then 25% of that church's budget can be used uh, as non-taxable to campaign and endorse a candidate. So um, that, to me, is um, it's a new ballgame altogether politically. And uh, if we think the left lost big in this last presidential election, um, they'll lose even bigger. Um, which, you know, to our listening audience, that's here or there. But at least with me, my point is is that when you look at the repeal of the Johnson Amendment, to me, you're looking at a major prophetic paradigm in this country in terms of uh, a pendulum swing whereby churches 
religious institutions, religious organizations, religious think tanks, religious interests, uh, special interests, uh, can and will overwhelm uh, the state and the federal governments. And to me, they already are. They're already doing that. When you consider the 38 state governments are basically controlled by uh, far-right-wing uh, conservatives. And if that tilts any further, by, by fund, allowing churches to politic, I mean, in my opinion, we're beginning to see the rise of religious fascism in this country, potentially. Well, that's a pretty stern warning. You see the repeal of the Johnson Amendment having the potential to lead to a type of religious fascism. Yes, I do. I know that's strong. I know that sounds radical. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm wrong. But the way I see it is that um, it just it empowers um, religious interests and peoples like never before. And that's, that's fine. That's great. They already have the power to speak up. Churches have the power to speak up on issues of the day. And people must not confuse the fact that they can speak up on issues. Nobody's going to penalize them by speaking up on issues, even if it's attached to a particular candidate. If they just focus on the issue and not the candidate, they can do that. But this repeal of the Johnson Amendment would allow the church to specifically use its personal budget, its church budget, to campaign tax-free and endorse any candidate and campaign for them. Um, that is a new day. Well, as you mentioned, this thing has been kicking around for a number of years. We've done shows on this topic over the years. And um, what I've heard from those working on the issue in, in Washington, D.C., is that none of the denominations have ever supported repeal of the Johnson Amendment. It's always come from interest groups that are very partisan politically, including, you know, and especially Christian interest groups, um, right-wing Christian interest groups. So from a denominational leadership standpoint, no one wants our churches divided into political camps. And, uh, you know, anyone who thinks that their own congregation is all united politically uh, doesn't know their own congregation. Well, then that means that that may explain why denominations don't speak up as clearly as they should be, and they're not as focused as these religious interest groups, and therefore the religious interest groups uh, are able to pretend to be the spokesman for all people, and denominations need to take a clear stand, and they need to speak up, and that's the problem. Their, their ambivalence is is part of the problem here. If they truly are against the repeal of the Johnson Amendment because they see how much divisiveness it would cause in their churches and potentially gut um, their offerings and, and giving from members um, then and, and for missions, then uh, to me, you know, it's, it's high time that denominations actually rise up and speak up and say, hey, we're for this Johnson Amendment. We're against the repeal. That's, that's what needs to be heard. But the problem is, is they allow these special interest groups, uh, these religious interest groups, to pretend to be the spokesman for all of Christianity in the United States. So let's, you know, let's kind of put this in very simple, pragmatic terms. Now, I'm assuming that, you know, Christian radio audience, you're going to have a lot of folks who are supportive of conservative politics, um, who are not big fans of Hillary Clinton. So imagine if in your congregation, maybe this is hard for you to imagine, imagine your congregation was going for Clinton and 25% uh, 
of your church budget was going to go to support the Clinton campaign. If you felt about Clinton the way many Christians did, you'd be out of there. For sure. Your church would be divided on political lines. Yeah. I'd probably be excommunicated. <laughs> you know, and, and the same would be true if you were a supporter of Hillary Clinton and your church was, you know, was supporting the Trump candidacy. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, of course. You know, you're out of there. So you can see how this could literally divide congregations into, you know, into political camps. Right. And that's simply not the role and mission of the church. It's not consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ, is it? Amen. So, Amen, brother. You know, the Johnson Amendment protects the integrity and the independence of the church. It's not somehow hostile to religious freedom, but the messaging around it is somehow, you know, it's a gag order on the churches, yeah. which is just not, it's just not the case, is it, Greg? No, it's not. Thank you. That's, that's very, very well said. Um, so our guest today has been my friend and colleague Greg Hamilton, president of the Northwest Religious Liberty Association, on the web at nrla.org, nrla.org. And you can... No, no, yeah, no, it's nrla.com. Dot com, thank you. And uh, you can find Greg's fine article on the Johnson Amendment on your website, I trust? Yes. Good. All right. Thanks for being with us on Freedom's Ring today, Greg. Thank you, Alan. And as we close, we want to remind our listeners here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk the talk about religious freedom. We help folks who are suffering religious discrimination, especially in employment. Please check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org, churchstate.org. And don't forget, folks, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.